Sabato en Gemma. Feliz Sabado. Joyeux Sabah. I see by the flags up here there are several languages spoken in this congregation, so I thought I'd share a few of them. Isn't it good to be part of God's great big family? It's a worldwide family. Many languages are spoken in God's family. But uh, I asked when I came, I knew there were some Kenyans here, and I'm thankful to know that. I, so I wanted to say Sabato Njema to you. I, I enjoyed my time in Kenya. Uh, but I want to say to... Um, Brother, I don't know if you're willing to travel around the conference with me, but I would like your daughter Jennifer to go everywhere I preach to do the welcome, because what a blessing that was to be welcomed by such a sweet young lady this morning, wasn't it? Does it were you blessed just to have that greeting? And uh, the songs of praise this morning, the children's story, the... the um, Every bit of the, the fervent prayer, I appreciate all of it, and the special music. What a blessing to be here in the house of God. I feel like I could just say amen and we all go home and enjoy our lunch, but I don't know. Might, word might get back to the conference that I'm not doing my duty, so I better, better follow through and preach. I will say that I've got to be in the studio at the conference office at 4 o'clock this afternoon. I hope some of you will tune in for our virtual training. We will be having a, a live event in Dallas later um, coming up soon. We have seven of these around the conference. The first two are virtual. Um, so from four to seven, evangelism training. So you'll forgive me when we're done. I'm going to greet a few folks, but I'm going to rush out. I'm going to try to have a little time with my wife for lunch and then right to the studio. But I do want to spend time in God's word. So, And, and uh, Elder Stewart mentioned snakes. I'm not sure why. I guess that's... Here, I, I was here a year or so ago, and I preached, and the only thing that you all remember is that I like snakes, I guess. So <laughs> He told me that when he mentioned to his wife I'd be here this week, she said, the guy that likes snakes? So um, I believe I shared last time that my son and I love snakes, and we have some pet snakes, and once when, on Hope Sabbath School, I, I mentioned that I, I have pet snakes and I find them interesting. And somebody emailed the Hope Studio and said, the Hope, the Hope Channel, and she was from Africa or Asia. I can't remember where she was from. And she said, why is Pastor Nathan talking about snakes in the Sabbath school lesson? That's so wrong. Doesn't he know that they're evil? And, and God cursed the snakes. And... Um, the, the email was forwarded to me. Derek and Bodo are friends, and Pastor Morris and his wife, and she manages the email, and they were members of my church at that time. And so they said, well, I, I've sent you an email. I just wondered, do you want to respond to that? And I said, probably not. I don't think I'm going to change her mind. <laughs> but sometimes people ask me that. You know, don't you know that God cursed the snake? And you may remember last time I told you, I said, of course I know God cursed the, God cursed the woman too, right? And I love my wife very dearly. God's crowning act of creation was when he gave Adam the woman. And uh, we men, the curse came for us too in that the ground was cursed for our sake. Uh, but anyway, I find snakes to be fascinating, interesting creatures. God already cursed them. We don't have to continue cursing. 
That's why they crawl instead of fly, and they do eat the dust of the ground, as the curse said. I see that every time I feed my snakes, because they don't have hands to delicately hold their food and keep it clean, right? You know, so. um, but you, you, how many snakes did I tell you that I have? You, I, I said eight just a moment ago, and then I was going through my head, and I realized, oh, I forgot one. We recently acquired another one. My son has one. See, my son's off at college with, and my daughter, both of them at Southern Adventist University in Tennessee, and so I'm left to care for the snakes. But we have nine now. We have nine, so. And one of them is from Kenya. One of our snakes is a Kenyan sand boa, beautiful red and black boa. Um, so, anyway, I really didn't come here this morning to talk about snakes. came to talk to you about the one whose foot will crush the head of the snake. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, Greetings again. It's great to be with you. Um, would you like to learn a little Swahili with me so you can greet our, greet our Kenyan friends on Sabbath morning with a, more than... So, Sabatu and Gemma. Sabatu and Gemma. Yeah, because we're a worldwide church. You know, when we get to heaven, everyone thinks we're going to... We don't know what people argue about what language we'll speak. So we learn as many as we can here because. And Mungu Yumwema. Mungu Yumwema means God is good. And how do you respond to God is good? Right. Siku Sote. Siku Sote. Mungu Yumwema. Mungu Atukuswe. Praise God. Beautiful language of the Swahili language. I enjoyed my time in your country, brother. And um, I am so glad that God's family expands and covers this world, this globe. And we're part of a beautiful worldwide family. Of course, when we get to heaven, our, our Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters, you know, my wife's family is from Guatemala, and they all say that uh, Español es la lengua del cielo, no? Uh, Spanish is the language of heaven. And I'm constantly correcting them. It, it is not the case. English will be the language of heaven. And I remind them that the reason for that is because, by God's grace, some of us Americans are going to be saved and find ourselves in heaven. And Americans can't seem to learn any other language, it seems. And in heaven, everyone will be gracious and accommodate us and speak, you know, because they all learn so many languages. We'll speak English, right? Whatever we speak in heaven, it's going to be beautiful, isn't it? And I'm glad that we can have a taste of heaven here on earth as we fellowship. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what your skin color is. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care what your political affiliation or leanings are. I don't care if you're super wealthy or super poor or somewhere in between like most of us. I don't care about any of that stuff because in Jesus Christ, we are all one. You know, this is the only place, the church, where you will find people of all different... People tend to gather around political affiliations or other things. But in the church, the wealthy and the poor hang together side by side. The black and the white, the brown, the yellow, and the red, all together as one in God's family. And only the grace of God and the beauty of the Spirit of Jesus Christ can do that. So again, we're rejoicing that we're here with you. I bring you greetings from the Texas Conference. Um, I am Nathan Krause. I'm the Vice President for Ministry and Evangelism. Now, just as of January 1, we 
Um, I, my department assumed responsibility for the evangelism department as well. We merged two departments, and I have a new associate, Dr. Tom Grove, and uh, very excited about what God is doing. So as I mentioned, you have an opportunity this afternoon at 4 o'clock to tune in from 4 to 7. Just go to texasadventist.org, and you'll see all the information you need to, to watch either on YouTube Live or on Facebook Live. So um, I want to thank you for what you do. You as a member of God's family and uh, those of you who are members here in the Garland Faith Community Church. Community is obvious when I see the flags. I know you are a community of many different believers. Uh, I want to thank you for what you do to reach God's kingdom. It's not the pastor's job. Of course, you know that now. You're carrying on for a little while here without a pastor. I'm so glad that Pastor DeLima is, uh, and his family are settled well. You know, one of the important considerations they have to uh, consider what, where they live is um, the care for his son, Nathan. And uh, he's in a good place, and God is blessing. So we're thankful for that. So, and I'll be worshiping with the Pflugerville Spanish Church in, very soon, coming up and preaching there. So if you'd like, I'll bring greetings to Pastor Dilemma from all of you as well. Okay. Well... Let me ask you a question. What are you rejoicing about this morning? Call it out. What are you rejoicing about? Life. Praise God. Family. Health. Yes, amen. God's grace. Amen. Amen. It's good to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, sir. Amen. 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 Well, I haven't heard anybody say they're grateful for the opportunity to suffer for the name of Christ. Who's rejoicing about that this morning? I don't think that's been anyone's experience, has it? I don't know anyone here who has... Maybe some have suffered persecution for the name of Christ. We do have brothers and sisters all over the world. And in some parts of the world, our brothers and sisters are currently suffering persecution for being followers of Jesus Christ. Not something we're familiar with in our experience. Maybe someday it will be. But today we're going to look at a passage of scripture in which God's leaders of the church found themselves being persecuted and suffering for the name of Christ. And they praised God for it, rejoicing that they were considered worthy to do so. Now, that's not normal. That's a miracle of God's grace at work in their lives. So we'll take a look at that in Acts 5, but of course, before we do, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together in freedom, to enjoy precious fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to honor you on this, the day which you have blessed, sanctified, hallowed, 
And Lord, we pray for your presence here among us. Now, we know you're always present, but we want to be especially mindful and invite you to just infuse this place with your spirit and fill each of our hearts. Keep our minds free from distraction. So many things pressing for our attention all the time. But now, during these precious hours of the Sabbath, we pray that you'll just let us Give us the ability to leave all that with you, to cast all our cares upon you, as was mentioned earlier this morning in the offering appeal, because you care for us, Lord. And now we can just turn our attention to you and your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired the words we're going to read from Scripture, and we pray that your Holy Spirit will now inspire us with understanding and uh, a willingness to live according to the words which we're going to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. And leading up to where we'll begin, we're going to start looking in verse 12. But just a little background. You remember that Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. Remember the little song, right? So that happened at the beginning of um, leading up to this in Acts. And what happened? When they did that, they ended up getting hauled in to answer before the religious leaders for what they did. Healing in the name of Jesus. Keep that in mind as we go. Through. Then let's jump to Acts chapter four, 5, beginning at verse 1. We are introduced to two characters in the early church whose names were... Ananias and Sapphira. And sometimes you can read this story and say, man, God sure was harsh. I mean, they gave, they sold some property, they gave to the church, but because they didn't give it all, they're killed for this, they're slain by the Holy Spirit. What's going on there? And then we, we read into it and study it and we understand it's because they were playing the part of hypocrites. Others had sacrificially sold properties and given all to the church. And they were acknowledged for doing so. And Ananias and Sapphira, with the wrong spirit, want to receive that same kind of recognition and honor among the believers. They sell some property. They say, we're going to give it all to the Lord's cause. But they hold some back for themselves and give a portion. They might have said, you know, we're going to give half of it. And people say, praise God for your generosity. And that would have been fine. But by lying about it and saying we're giving all when they were only giving part, they were disobeying the Holy Spirit in their hearts. They were being hypocritical. Well, it was important in God's early church that people understand the severity of dishonesty to the Holy Spirit. Because the church was being built on following and uh, following the Spirit and obedience to the Holy Spirit. And what happened with these two individuals, each one given an opportunity? After Ananias, Sapphira was called in. She had the opportunity to tell the truth too. And she lied. And she suffered the same fate of her husband. So what happened? people began to recognize that the church 
was a church in which the lame walk and liars die. In other words, they began to take this seriously. You don't play church. You don't fool around with religion or with God and worship. It matters. And the church, God made that very clear through the church and through their experiences early on. Okay, so with that background, we pick up in verse 12. Because, well, I, we should look at verse 11. So great fear came upon all the church. Fear as in reverence. They understood. This is serious. You don't play games with God. God's doing amazing miracles, but he's also holding people accountable to the truth. And then it says, and upon all who heard these things. So the word is spreading about this amazing uh, new movement of God at work in the church. And then in verse 12, it says, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. We read some of them. Luke recorded them, did his careful homework, but there's not room for all of them. And it says, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. That was the general meeting place where they came together publicly. Verse 13, yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. So none of the rest dared join them, but multitudes are coming in. What's it talking about here? Paul uses this phrase, and you can see it in his writings and some of his letters too. The rest are those who are not believers. We are God's church, and then there's the rest. And so the rest didn't dare to join the church unless they were sincerely committed because they saw what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. The word was spreading. This is a pure church that God is building, right? So, the people esteemed them highly. And the believers were increasingly added. Now, that's a passive tense of the verb. It doesn't say they were adding, but they were added. The believers were added to the church. That means somebody else is doing it. Am I right? Passive tense verbs mean it is done to someone or something. So if believers are added to the church, it's not the church adding believers. It's someone else doing that. Who might that someone else be? God is at work adding. Anytime the church grows, we can't take credit and say, I did that. Or aren't we awesome? We're doing so many wondrous things. Sister Sandra, right? We're doing it. I love hearing the plans of what you're doing. And you're doing it with the understanding, I know, that God will then use these things to add to the church. We don't ever take credit, do we? We do not take credit for the growth of the church because we know that God is doing the work through the Holy Spirit. Now, he doesn't do it without us taking part in it back. The angels would love to do that work, but he hasn't commissioned angels to tell the gospel story. He's commissioned you and me to tell the gospel story. Not just the pastor and the elders and the deacons and the deaconesses and the AY leaders. And it's not just the leaders in the church. It's all of us. There's somebody that you can reach that no one else can reach. I don't know if it's your next door neighbor, your coworker at work, your hairstylist, your mechanic. I don't know who it is, but there's somebody that God wants you to reach that your pastor isn't going to reach. 
So God has commissioned us to do this. And then, through us, God does his work and adds to the church. And that's what was happening here. They were added to the Lord, of course, and the followers of the Lord congregate in the church. Multitudes of both men and women. Interesting that Luke mentions men and women. Why does he do that? In a culture where women were lightly regarded, not highly esteemed, in a culture where women could not even be witnesses in a court of law, their testimony did not stand. In a culture where a Jewish man would rise in the morning and thank God for three things every day. Thank God he's not a Gentile. Thank God he's not a woman. And thank God that he's not a slave. In that culture, Luke writes that God was adding men and women. Why? Because it's very clear when we read the Gospels that Jesus was, was doing something to raise the status of women in the eyes of his followers. He did the unthinkable. When you look at his interaction with women, even Gentile women, John 4, the woman at the well, he did the unthinkable, but what he did helped prepare the church to understand that women are precious in God's eyes, no matter what Jewish men pray every morning, and women are an important part of the work of God. And in the early church, that, of course, was the case. We have examples of that. We don't need to spend much time there, but I think it's interesting. And today I want to say that the church of God would not be where it is were it not for godly women doing what they do. And that's especially true in many parts of the world where there's persecution and men are often the ones imprisoned and the women are left to carry on the underground work. An example of that is our, our church in China. So, All right. So, we read on then. God added men and women. Verse 15 so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. So in in the time, people considered the shadow to be an extension of the soul, your very essence. Uh, Jewish people believed that if the shadow of a corpse touched you, you were unclean as if you had touched the corpse. Greeks believed that if you spat upon someone's shadow or stomped on it or stabbed it with a spear. It was almost like doing something to a voodoo doll. You you could harm the individual. That could bring harm to them. So people saw the shadow as an extension of the person. That's not what we understand, of course, today. But in faith, people, knowing that God was working through Peter, Peter was a godly man, And just like that woman of faith, because clothing was also considered an extension, power from powerful people goes through their clothing, and that woman who reached out in faith because of her, her embarrassment of her condition, her timidity, she couldn't publicly do so, but she privately snuck, sneaked, I think is actually the proper word, she got close to Jesus and touched the hem of his garment, and power went out from him. In other words, God honored her faith. 
And do you think God would honor the faith of people who believe the shadow is an extension of a person and they're trying to connect? In the absence of Jesus, Peter is now seen as the, the leader of the Christian movement. And in trying to connect with a powerful Christian leader, they even want, they're, they're hoping that his shadow would pass upon them. And in the, with that kind of faith, they are healed. God honored that. So amazing things are happening in Jerusalem. Verse 16, And a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And they were... How many? They were all healed. Jesus would pass through villages, we read in Desire of Ages, and when he left, there was not a single sick person among them. They were all healed. And now here we have Peter and the apostles healing everybody who's brought to them, including people who are demon-possessed. Remember when the disciples were sent out to do what Jesus did, that included casting out unclean spirits. And when they came back, what did they report? Lord, even the demons obey us in your name. And what did Jesus say? Yeah, don't get excited about that, guys. I mean, that's, of course, that's a wonderful thing. There's no more powerful name than the name of Jesus. The demons must submit. But he says, that's not what you should be rejoicing over, right? What should they rejoice over? Amen. That their name is written in the book of life. Thank you for that. Amen. Verse 17, then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him. Okay, so God's doing amazing things through the church. And the high priest says, no, no, no. We got to put a, put a pause on this thing. Isn't it terrible when religious leaders are opposing what God is doing? What a sad state of affairs that is. And what a sad testimony it is. Do you know that when Jesus came, and again, I'm referring to the book Desire of Ages, the beautiful commentary on the life of Christ. We understand that when Jesus came, of course, he came to die in order that our sins might be forgiven. By the way, let me ask you right now, how many sins has God forgiven in all the history of humanity? Since the time that Adam and Eve sinned until the present, how many sins have been forgiven? I'm going to disagree with you and say none. I'm playing with semantics here. Technically, sins have not been forgiven. We always say that our sins might be forgiven. It's sinners who are forgiven. If sins could be forgiven, God could have said, okay, we'll just forget about that. We'll wipe it clean, wipe your slate clean, and we'll move on. And Jesus would not have had to die on the cross. Jesus died on the cross because God cannot just dismiss sin and say, oh, that's okay. No, God is a holy God. His law is holy, and transgression of his law requires what? It requires the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. So Jesus died on the cross No sins have been forgiven. All sins were put upon him who knew no sin and became sin for us in order that God might forgive sinners. So, 
how did I get off onto that? I'm sorry. Sometimes I go off onto tangents, and, and it's not really what I had in my mental notes to preach to you, but I want to assure you I don't charge any extra for the freebies. I just throw them in there, and, and you get it all for the same price. Aren't you happy about that? just means you might have to wait a little longer to enjoy your Sabbath lunch. So I guess you are being charged in that sense. Please forgive me. So the high priest rose up and he spoke against what was happening there. And all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the controlling party of the temple. They claim their heritage back to Zadok, the priest from the lineage of Aaron. Sadok, Sadducee, comes from that name, Sadok. And um, the Pharisees, on the other hand, were the popular party among the people. So Sadducees were smaller. They only believed the first five books, the big books of Moses. They didn't believe in angels and resurrection and so forth. And then the Pharisees were the popular party who the people mostly followed, and they were the ones that told the people how to live the law. They were considered the the experts, the real religious influencers. Uh, So these are mostly Pharisees. And it says the the high priest and the Pharisees were filled with what? Yeah, my Bible is the New King James Version. King James and and New King James say indignation. Anybody have another translation that says something else? Jealousy is actually a very good translation of that word. It comes from celo, which we get the word zealot from, zeal. But literally, it comes from the Greek word heat, hot with jealousy. Now, it can be a good or a negative connotation. You can be hot with jealousy for the Lord. Like Jesus said, zeal for your house has consumed me. Remember when he drove out And by the way, I wish I could see a beautiful painting of Jesus with a whip in his hands, turning over the tables and driving people. We never see anybody portray Jesus like that, do I haven't seen a picture like that. But that is also a revelation of the character of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not only the compassionate shepherd, but he is also the one who, with zeal for God's house, rose up with righteous indignation against the sin that was occurring in the house of God or just around the temple area. So that zeal can be good or bad, but that's it. It's jealousy. They were filled with jealousy and zeal. And they laid their hands on the apostles. That was not to ordain them or commission them. (laughs) No, they laid hands on them in a different way and put them in the common prison or the public prison, that word could be translated. So they are trying to stop what God is doing by taking the leaders. Who's the head of the church? Jesus Christ is the head of his church. They're looking at Peter and the apostles and thinking, we're going to stop this thing by taking the leaders. But they don't realize the leader is not even on planet Earth. The leader is in heaven. And you can put his people in prison, and it doesn't stop him from doing what he's going to do through his church. And every place where God's church is persecuted, they can take the leaders away, but the people keep moving forward. God can raise up others. Jesus said even the rocks can cry out if necessary, right? So they don't understand they can't stop what God is doing by trying to arrest the leaders. But they do. They lay hands on them. They put them in prison. Uh, 
And then they, it's late in the day. They think, okay, we'll deal with this in the morning. And then it says in verse 19, but at night, okay, what happened was uh, after people left the temple, the temple gates were locked. Um, these were um, temple police that were doing this, temple guard, not Roman guards. And uh, then uh, around midnight, actually, or shortly thereafter, the temple gates would be opened again for those that would come early. So that, And most of them would come around dawn, but some came before dawn. So just that background. So at night, an angel of the Lord appeared... I'm sorry, opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. These people lock up the apostles thinking we're going to deal with this by locking them away and tomorrow we'll have a trial and we'll shut them down. And God shows up by sending an angel during the night who opened the prison doors And brought them out. And what did he say to them? Go. First word, go. That should remind us of the great commission in Matthew 28. We are to go. God's people are to be a people on the move. He's saying to you this morning, Christian, he's telling you, go. We cannot sit. You know, people talk about the attractional model of evangelism that's been used for so many years in the church. In other words, we put our sign out, we tell them, hey, we're doing something, come to us. That's the attractional model. We're doing something that we hope will interest you and we want to attract you to church. It works sometimes. But more than that, where we're sitting and expecting them to come to us, we are to go. The missional model is we go where they are and we rub shoulders with them, we touch their lives, and then they they will be attracted to God's family. And so he says, go, the angel. Stand in the temple and speak to the people. Now, they might say, hold on a minute, wait. You know the reason we're here is because that's what we were doing. They might say to the angel, that doesn't make any sense. Thank you for the jailbreak, but I think I'm going to run far away now because I don't want to be arrested again. That's what a normal human being might do under normal circumstances. But a godly human being who's being driven by the Spirit to obey God will do what doesn't make sense to others sometimes. And so there we have the instructions. Go, stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now, when you hear the word this, what do you think of as, an, as a contrasting word? There's this and there's that, right? This is specifically something as opposed to that. So speak to them the words of this life. Which life? The life that they now have in the spirit as followers of Jesus Christ. Do you know that the Jewish people called the temple the house of our life? So the angel, God, through the angel, tells them, go to the temple, the house of their life. And speak to the people all the words of this life. In other words, something in contrast to what they were holding on to. Do you understand that all through the New Testament, specifically I see it in the book of Acts, God is doing something amazing. There's a theology shift. There is no longer this idea that the temple is essential for the, the 
the, the church's survival or the fellowship of the saints. God is beginning to help people begin to understand, and it really started with the, the sermon of Stephen just prior to his stoning. Wherein, if you read through his sermon, you see that he makes it very clear that God had appeared to his people, Abraham, Moses. He appeared to them outside of Jerusalem, actually outside of Israel, in foreign land and not in the temple. And he makes it clear that God is building his temple, Peter would later say, a temple of living stones. We are the temple of God. This is God's temple that you care for. But we collectively, sometimes we see the plural you when Paul is speaking to the church of God as the temple. We are the temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells, not this church building. And so he's telling him specifically to go. Now, by the way, since I mentioned your body as the temple of God, can I just, uh, everybody, if your feet are under the pew, just sit with your feet squarely in front of you, maybe extend them a little bit, because I'm about to step on some toes. <laughs> Sorry, I have to do it. And you, you, can, you can just dismiss me, and it's fine. I don't, I'm not your conscience. But I do want to speak to you about something that I think we all should be considering in these last days, I believe, these last days of Earth's history. I believe that God has given us light from heaven through a messenger. And I believe that light is all to be accepted gladly and applied to our lives in such a way that we not only receive the blessings of following light, but that we honor and glorify God by living up to the light we have. So what am I talking about? I believe that the health message, as was stated through our messenger, is the right arm of the gospel. The Bible always assumes people are right-handed unless it specifically tells you they're left-handed. It does. It mentions some left-handed archers and so forth, but normally the right hand. So when you talk about the right arm or the right hand, you're talking about the powerful arm. And if we are told that the health message is the right arm of the gospel, why are there so many left-handed Seventh-day Adventists walking around the planet today? Look, I'm not talking about a gospel by health message salvation. Please. Appreciated the Sabbath school lesson this morning. It was made abundantly clear we can do nothing to earn salvation. Praise God for that wonderful gift that Jesus earned for us on the cross. We accept it by grace, but then we live by grace for his glory. If you love me, keep my commandments. It becomes very clear that obedience is necessary and essential is this my cue to wrap it up? Oh, I, sister, I thought you were about to start playing music and, and tell me, okay, now, pastor. <laughs> the thing is that what we experience when we live up to the health message is blessings abundantly. Do you know that God's people were, they didn't die. God said, I will put none of the diseases of the Egyptians upon you. You can do an autopsy, and it has been done, of some of the mummified bodies from Egypt. And what do you find, especially among the wealthy, the leaders and so forth? What do you find that they died of? 
The autopsies revealed that they died of lifestyle-related diseases, like cancer, heart disease, atherosclerosis, arteriosclerosis, diabetes, lifestyle-related diseases. In other words, these aren't infectious diseases. They're lifestyle-related diseases. And God says, I'm not going to do that to you if you're following. You're, you're not going to have that. God is always seen as the author of whatever comes. So you won't experience the consequences of those lifestyle diseases if you live the lifestyle which I'm prescribing for you. Okay, can I bring it home to you now? I told you your toes might get stepped on. I do not know why, as Seventh-day Adventists, we are not shouting from the rooftops and pointing people to the studies that indicate that people who eat a plant-based diet have a much greater resistance to the COVID virus. One study in particular was done, five European countries and United States. These six countries, healthcare workers who contracted COVID, they were looked at, they were asked about their diet. Almost 3,000 people, 2,800 some people, of healthcare workers. And they found that those who followed a plant based diet, now that's not completely plant, it's not like they're all vegan, but even if they were just vegetarian, had a 73% greater resistance to the COVID virus. And, and those that were on a plant based diet, even when they did contract COVID, it was mild to moderate, as opposed to those who ate an animal foods-rich diet who had moderate to severe symptoms and, and were met, many more of them actually contracted the virus. Why am I sharing this with you? To get on your case if you're not a plant-based diet? No. I'm sharing this with you because I believe COVID is nothing compared to what we will see coming on this planet in these last days. Pestilences are mentioned as one of the signs in Matthew 24, Right? But we don't have to live in fear, folks. We trust our creator. And we can live responsibly. A lot of people will do the simple things that we're told this is what you should do. But they won't do the more difficult things, which is making lifestyle changes that are in harmony with the light which we have been given, which can protect us. I'm sorry, I know I'm, I'm touching sensitive areas. But it could save your life, folks, because I don't know what's coming down the pike next, and neither do you. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But there's a reason why God gave us the light which he gave us. And we can enjoy better health and clearer minds. And boy, will that be important in the end times, in a time when people are being deceived. Clear minds, healthy bodies, we can enjoy them when we follow the light which God has given us. All right, I'm not going to charge you any extra for that one either. Let's get back to the word here again. But that is a very practical application of caring for the temple of the body. So God was clearly indicating to the people, as we read through the book of Acts, we see this theme that the temple is becoming less and less central to religious practice and following God as the temple of God is being built now among his believers. But he says, go to the temple where everybody think, calls it this house, uh, the house of our life. And he says, go there and speak to them about this life 
Which life? The life that you are now finding in Jesus Christ and by following his spirit. You should be doing the same thing too. Talk to people about the abundant life you have in Jesus Christ. John 10.10, one of my favorite verses after I became a Christian. I said, wow, it's true. This is the abundant life God gives us when we follow the light which he's revealed. Verse 21, and when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. So they were obedient. But, like that, but the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. So now they're in the temple preaching in the early morning. High priest doesn't know it. They call their council together and say, okay, we got these guys in prison. What are we going to do with them? They're ready to plan. And so they send for them to be brought now. They're going to intimidate them, sit them before the council. And what happens? Verse 22, but... When the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely, and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now that ought to cause you to scratch your head and say, What is going on here? Happened to me once with one of my snakes. Its cage was securely locked, and... It wasn't there. I don't know what happened. It was missing for five months. Thankfully, we found it alive after five months. That's another great thing about being uh, uh, owning snakes as pets. Well, you can go away on vacation and leave them, and they're fine. You don't, you don't have to walk them every day. You don't have to feed them every day. And low maintenance, wonderful. Am I convincing anyone yet to get a pet snake? People come to my house and say, I hate snakes or I'm afraid of snakes. And then by the time they leave, they're posting pictures online with a python around their neck or something. So you could overcome your aversion as well. All right, so that's kind of strange. I mean, I was scratching my head. I said, how did this snake get out? They're escape artists, you know. How did he get out? Everything seems secure. And so they come to the prison. They say, what is going on here? It's all locked up. The guard is here. They, they, they don't report that anything happened during the night. But a miracle happened because an angel came in and got peop, God's people out. Now, at this point, if you are the high priest and the leaders in the council, you also might be scratching your head and saying, what is going on here? And maybe I better be careful about how I proceed. Verse 24, now when the high priest... The captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things. By the way, it's a good thing they weren't Roman guards or they would have been executed because a prisoner escaped, but these were temple guards. They wondered what the outcome would be. Yes, they should be wondering. Then one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. The bold audacity. How dare they? We shut them up and we put them in prison and the next day, we don't know how it happened, they're out and they're doing the same thing again. How on earth can they deal with these people? Then the captain went with the officers and brought them, notice, without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. They are in a terrible predicament right now. They want to shut down these people, but they can't even do it. They can't even use the force they would normally use because they're afraid of the crowds because the crowds obviously are in support of what's going on. If you find yourself as a leader without the support of your people you're in tr- or the people you're trying to lead, you are in trouble. And they realize that. 
Then the captain went with the officers, brought them in without violence because they feared the people. They realized the people will rise up and stone the leaders if they harm these people. Verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. It's God's doctrine. Praise God, they filled Jerusalem with it. They're following the order that was given. Starting with Jerusalem, they were to go to all the world. And intend to bring this man's blood on us. Ooh, did you catch that? You intend to bring this man's blood on us. You realize, of course, that this is the very same council that put Jesus on the cross. And now they're preaching in the name of Jesus. And they're saying miracles are happening in the name of Jesus. And the council's thinking, we thought we could deal with this by killing the man. And still, the man is active through his church, doing what he was doing, even to greater degrees now. Remember, Jesus said, you'll do greater things if I go. Are you longing for the day when God does amazing things through us and the world takes notice? It only happens when you're obedient to the Spirit, as we're going to see here. And it will happen again. So they're beginning to feel this cut-to-the-heart feeling. That's literally what it said in what the verse back there. We didn't look at that. We didn't talk about that. You want to bring his blood on us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, Boy, you better memorize this verse. Acts 5.29. We ought to obey God rather than men. That is a simple principle that we should all live by. It should be very clear to all of us in the times in which we're living and the, the, the developments that have occurred during this COVID season. It should be very clear to us that we are getting close to the place. We are already there for many. People have stood up against authorities, whether it's employers or government authorities, in order to follow their conscience. In matters of conscience, remember, the majority is never the rule. Only the individual can answer to God in matters of conscience. And we are at a place in earth's history where now that is being challenged in this land of the free and home of the brave. Hey, we know that Revelation 13 is coming. This nation, this lamb-like nation, is going to speak as a dragon. And we are going to lose our freedoms. So we shouldn't be surprised when we see these things developing. But we should be firm in our commitment and our conviction to stand up on principle and keep faithful to our convictions as God has given regarding the body temple and regarding our life and our profession. So, we are going to obey God rather than you, Peter says. This is not the timid guy who was afraid of a servant girl at a campfire and cursed the name of Jesus in order to disassociate himself with Jesus because he was afraid he would suffer the same fate of Jesus. The one who thought he was so bold and self-confident that he drew his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane to fight for Jesus and then later realizes he doesn't have the boldness he thought he had. 
But now he stands before the greatest authority in Jerusalem among the Jewish people, not the Roman authority, but the Jewish leaders. And he says, we're going to obey God rather than you. This is a changed man because God has got his heart. He is fully converted. Remember, Jesus said, when you're converted to Peter. All right. God, help me. Help you. I hope you pray the same thing. Help me to be bold for you like that. And then listen to what Peter says in verse 30. The God of our fathers. See, he's not seeing Christianity as some separate sect. He's talking that this is the fulfillment of our faith. Christianity is the natural progression of people who are following Jesus. All Jews should become Christians if they're following God's lead. He says, the God of our fathers, you and I together, speaking to the high priest and the council, raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Oh, this is a bold man. He calls them out right there. Tells them their sin. But listen as he goes on. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be the prince and savior. And then he goes on to say, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So even though Peter is saying, you killed the man. Yes, his blood is on you. That You're trying to tell us that we're doing that. No, you did it. But then he also says, he's seated on the right hand of God. What? For what? To give repentance to Israel. Here's your opportunity to repent, Peter's saying. And forgiveness of sins. And of course, technically we know he's forgiving sinners, not sins. It's an open invitation. It's an appeal. But will those hard-hearted leaders submit to the Spirit of God? No, we, don't. we see they do not. And then Peter goes on to say, and we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're on the same side as the Holy Spirit, because Jesus said the Spirit will testify of me when he sends him, right? You want to be on the same side with the Holy Spirit as a witness, don't you? (laughs) You don't want to be on the other side of the courtroom because you're on the losing side then. Jesus is the winner man. Did anybody know that song? Okay, so I I took a group to Fiji in 1998 and then in 1999 did a couple mission projects down there. And when I was there, they taught me this song, Jesus is to win a man. Satan is to lose a man. Don't want to be no lose a man. I want to be a win a man. All those verses, right? And I thought it's a Fijian song. So I'm over in Israel a couple of years ago leading a group of pastors. And I said, let's sing this song in one of our worships. And I told them how I learned it in Fiji. And uh, Pastor Keith Gray was in our group, and he stands up, he says, oh, man, I taught those people that song a few years ago. I said, you mean all the time? It's like when I went to Fiji and I brought back the Fiji water in bottles. You know, we like brought them back in our luggage. These are really cool. And then about a year later, they start selling it in Costco. I'm like, well, it's, it's off on my shelf. It's not so special anymore. Oh, why do you keep Costco water on your shelf? Right? So. Anyway, Jesus is the winner, man. Satan is the loser, man. You want to be on the winner's side. You know what? You know how this story ends, don't you? A bunch of seminarians were playing basketball one night late in the gym, blowing off some stress, you know, all the study and your nose in the books. It's good to get out and shoot some hoops, have some exercise. And the old janitor comes in late at night, says, boys, it's time to go. It was... uh, 11 o'clock at night, time to close up the gym, you got to go home and get some sleep, and okay, you know, they're wrapping up, and as they're going out, 
one of the seminarians says, man, I'm struggling so much in this course on Revelation, I just don't understand it. The other one says, yeah, me neither. He said, I don't think anybody can understand the book of Revelation. Well, the janitor overheard this. He says, I do. And these guys, are, you know, they smirk and snicker to themselves, and they look at him and say, you and <laughs> Hey, we're getting our MDiv here. We study Greek and Hebrew, and we're studying theology, and we don't understand the book of Revelation. You're the janitor, and you think you understand it? Okay, if you're so smart, tell us. What is the, what is the meaning of the book of Revelation? Explain it to us. And the janitor answers with two words. Two, sorry, two words. <laughs> God wins. Folks, if you don't understand anything else about the books of Daniel and Revelation, please understand this. God wins. Anybody have any question about that here today? Okay, if you know that, you believe that with all your heart, then you just got to make sure you're on the winning side. Right? Don't side with the cowboys when they're a losing team. I'm not going to go there. I'm sorry. I already went there. Too late. Sorry. Sorry, I'm an Eagles fan, and we had a terrible season, too. So, you know, I can't. You're an Eagles fan? Praise God. Good to have some company here in, in Dallas country. And my brother up in Pennsylvania in Eagles country is a Dallas fan. I can't explain that, but I think because when we were kids, he liked the Dallas cheerleaders. He's not really a, he's not a football team fan. He's a cheerleader fan. But anyway, you know how this thing ends. God is the winner. If you knew who was going to win the Super Bowl, you could make a lot of money, right? But if you know who's going to win this great controversy and the spiritual cosmic conflict that's going on, you could gain eternal life by following the right side. So they find themselves on the side with the Holy Spirit. And we are his witnesses, verse 32, to these things and also to the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You want the Spirit in your life and you're feeling like, I wish I had more of the Spirit. I feel like I'm not connecting with God. Maybe you should start praying, Lord, is there some area of my life in which I'm not obeying you? Because the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him. How can you have God in your life when you're at, out of harmony with him, when there's dissonance because you're not listening to his Spirit? says he's given to those who obey. In verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and took counsel to kill them. That's actually the, word, the verse I was looking for. That furious is what my Bible says. Literally, it says, cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit gets in there. Didn't I hear somebody talking about that in Sabbath school this morning? It's a, sharper than a two-edged sword. It's living, the word of God, okay? So, gets into their heart, they're cut to the heart, and they took counsel to kill them. That sounds like very spirit-led people, doesn't it? (laughs) Their zeal is, we're going to kill the people just like they killed Jesus. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee, so he's outnumbered in that council because they're mostly Sadducees, named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law. Held in respect by all the people. Now I want to tell you something about. You know what rabbi means? Rab is teacher. Rabbi in Hebrew is my teacher. The I on the end means my in Hebrew and Arabic. Rabbi is my teacher. This guy was the only guy who was given the title Rabban. A-N on the end. Do you know what that means? 
our teacher. He was so well respected that all the people considered him. You know, it's like, well, I follow this rabbi, I follow that rabbi, some followed Jesus the rabbi. They all said, he's, they gave him the title, our teacher, because so many respected him. This is the guy, Gamaliel. He stands up in that council. He was called the beauty of the law by the people. So really a very respected man. And I believe that God used this man in that council. God has people in places that he will raise up that we might be surprised about. From unexpected sources, our help can come. And he commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. Look, they commanded. That's, that's, he's got that kind of authority. And he speaks with authority. Like when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Right? There's a few of you who remember that old commercial. All right. I want to say here right now, I want to speak to you something that I want you to take to heart. We are living in a time of group think. And mob mentality. In a, in a culture where it used to be cool to be an individual, we're moving more and more toward ex- condemning those who have individual thoughts that differ from the crowd. We're becoming less tolerant of dissenting views. No matter where you are on this whole COVID thing, let's just use that as an example, it should concern all of us that when medical professions who have dissenting opinions and views based on their own research and understanding and experience of treating, when they are shut down by government, quieted by big tech and social media platforms, you don't have to agree with them, okay? I'm not talking about that. But the fact that that's happening should concern all of us, right? When you can turn somebody off just by saying you are, what's the word they were, I'm thinking deplatform, but it, yeah, no, but they, they do what, they, they uh, cut you off. Canceled, yes, it's a cancel culture. You're canceled. They just censor you, boom. You don't think they're going to do that to us one day? Oh, you're wrong about this whole Sabbath thing. You're canceled. That should concern us, right? But when somebody stands up against the mob, when somebody with conviction speaks out, swimming against the current, going upstream and says, I stand, like Martin Luther said, here I stand, I can do no other. People take note of that. God help You and me to be people like that. It's too easy to go along to get along. In matters of conscience, we are never safe to do that. Stand up and speak what I have seen it happen, and some of you have too, in committees and boards, and I've seen it at higher levels of the organization. When one person speaks up with conviction, the entire tide can be turned, can be swayed. And a meeting where you thought this is definitely going to be the outcome, suddenly everything switches and it goes this way. And all you can say is, God did something here today. 
And it started because one man or woman stood up on conviction and said, consider this as an option. So be bold. Be the one who stands firmly on principle and speaks your convictions. That's what Gamaliel did, and it changed everything. They didn't end up killing these guys. No, if they had, God would have raised up others, just like they stoned Stephen. But they didn't. And Gamaliel was used by God, I believe, that day. And he said to them, verse uh, 35, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do to these men. For some years ago, Theudas rose up. Now, some have said, oh, Luke was messed up here because Theudas came ten years later after this. There was a guy named Theudas that rose up. And they say, well, he obviously, I thought Luke was a careful historian. He got this wrong. No, actually, Theudas is the Greek nickname for Theodotus, which is the Greek way of saying gift of God. And the Hebrew name for that is Matthias. And there was a Matthias prior to this who rose up in in a revolution. So you know what? You can trust God's word. Critics come along and say, no, that's wrong. This is wrong. No, you just do your research and study and you find out God's word is not faulty. All right. So this guy rose up, claiming to be somebody. This is Gamaliel speaking now. A number of men, about 400, joined him. Uh, He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census. So this was during the time of Archelaus, Herod's son. Romans had put a procurator in place, and he took a census. Why do people take census? What, in those days, what, were they, what was it related to? Want to know how many people there are, and when they come and call you for the census, what are they going to do? They're going to tax you. Are taxes popular today? Are they popular, I mean? Do people like it? Popular with the people? Guess what? They weren't popular with the people then either. <laughs> and so there was, when this happened during the time of the census, there was a rising up of people, and a revolution took place with this guy, uh, Judas of Galilee which, by the way, was the first zealot. This is where the zealots came from, the ones who would go around with a knife or dagger in their cloak. And if they saw an opportunity, maybe a Roman soldier was, had stepped around the corner or behind a bush to relieve himself, and they saw that was the opportunity to just knife him because if that's God's enemy, they were going to do things by force. Okay? You had the Pharisees, the Sadducees. You had these zealots who were political activists who said, we're just going to take things into our own hand and fight for God's cause. They came from this guy, Judas. That's the beginning of it, all right? So, he drew many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. So he's given them this history. Remember, these things happen, guys. So, and now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. Just let it pass like the others did. And he says this, which is very important. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. True. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it. Oh, he is speaking truth now. Lest you even be found to fight against God. We look back now and say, yeah, how foolish was that? You think you're going to fight against God? God was going to do what he was going to do in his church. And we think that was foolish. But today, in my life, sometimes I need to examine it and say, am I fighting against God? Am I being so foolish as to think Oh, God will give me that freedom. He does. You can choose to disobey God, but you won't come out victorious in the end. You might even be fighting against God. Verse 40, and they agreed with him. 
God's Spirit at work, I believe. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, now that was not just like a smack on the wrist. That was 39 lashes. According to the Old Testament, you could give 40 lashes to punish a man. But they said, we're going to show grace, and their practice was they always gave 39 lashes. And the way it was done was the hands were tied onto a, a, a post, and the man was bent over, and uh, they were stripped. And thir- one-third, that would be 13 of 39, one-third of the lashes were given on the front. That would be the chest. And two-thirds on the back. And uh, that was, if you don't know what kind of lashing was done, I'll spare you the details, but... It was not pretty. Flesh was torn open. It's what Jesus experienced, too. That's what they got done to them. So even though they were going to release them, they said, well, we've got to teach them a lesson. Got to get a good beating in. And while they're beating, they're reading the curses from Deuteronomy 28 that God said he would bring on his people if they were unfaithful, because that was the practice. You are one of the people that's going to bring God's curses on our nation, and so you have to be punished. And that's what they did. Okay, they had beaten them. I'm in the middle of verse 40. They commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. So here they are giving the same instruction again. Stop speaking in the name of Jesus, and they send them out. And do you think they felt like, well, we got this thing under control? No, I don't think they were sleeping very well at night. They realized they're fighting God if they were honest with themselves. Verse 41. So the disciples, or the apostles, they departed from the presence of the council... And that next word is the one that just shows you this is an amazing thing. How was that? How did they depart? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Oh, my. That's why I started by asking you this morning, what are you rejoicing over? It is possible when you're in harmony with God's spirit that you can rejoice even over things like this. The martyrs who were burned at the stake, singing God's praises, trusting him completely. Martin Luther, who said, whether I live or die is of little consequence to me, but that God's work goes forward. If by my life, so be it. He's willing to keep living and working for God. If by my death, so be it. He was willing to die if that would help further the cause of God. That's the way we need to live our lives. They were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They experienced what Jesus experienced. There are people in the world today who are experiencing the same thing. They're suffering shame for Jesus' name, but they're rejoicing. I'm going to give you a website. I'm going to encourage you you to look at it. Persecution.org. Persecution.org. You can read modern stories of people like this who are living for God's glory, even though they're suffering persecution. And I'm going to recommend a movie because when Hollywood puts out something good, we ought to vote with our dollars and let them know we appreciate it. There's a movie called, it's not really a Hollywood production, but Sabina, S-A-B-I-N-A. She was the wife of Richard Wurmbrand of Romania, who is the one who began persecution, the voice of the martyrs, which is the persecution.org. He suffered under communism, beaten, he, bared his, he removed his shirt to show his scars before the U.S. Senate to ask for them to take action for human rights against persecuted Christians. There are people today, it seems so far from us, but there are brothers and sisters who are suffering 
because they're following Jesus. Pray for them, my friends. Pray for them. In verse 42, we'll wrap up. I know I apologize for being long-winded, but you're getting, you're getting what uh, the Lord gave me today. And daily in the temple and in every house. Listen, you cannot grow a church just by meeting here. In the house, in the homes, is where the growth really happens. They, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. We need to go. Like the angel said, we need to go. And we need to teach and preach Jesus Christ. We will have to finish this work under difficult circumstances. We've been told that. And we will have wished that we had done it under easier circumstances. So let's do what we can now. Let's get the word out. E.E. Cleveland said we cannot finish the work without doing the work. And that means all of us. Let's speak words of life, this life, to people who are dying for lack of knowledge of the truth and a relationship with Jesus Christ. People need hope today. They desperately need hope. People are living in fear all over this planet. Men's hearts will fail them for fear, we're told. This is just the beginning. But we don't have to live in fear. We don't, we're not given a spirit of fear and timidity. We have hope. We have joy. We have a message which the world needs. Father in heaven, thank you for the amazing story that we've read here in Acts 5, the amazing witness of Peter and the apostles who stood boldly for truth, who trusted you completely and obeyed you fully, even when it wasn't convenient, even when it meant their lives would be threatened. But at the risk of death and at the the cost of definite persecution, they still were faithful to you. Father, please help us to live like that. Keep us faithful to you, Lord. Let us shine for Jesus. And I pray for your blessing on this Garland Faith Community Church, that each one might live like Jesus and speak words of life to those in need so that we might win souls to your kingdom because that is the purpose of your church. You want your church, to do the work in order that heaven might be populated. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.